World War II. It's known as the greatest generation. And these are their stories. It's the World War II Project. Here are your hosts, AmeriChicks, Molly Vogt and Kim Munson. Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is the AmeriChicks World War II Project on EZ 1430 AM. I'm Molly Vogt. I'm Kim Munson. And we're excited to interview real, live World War II veterans. We're always looking for stories. If anybody out there has a story of a family member or a friend, we would love to meet them. So let us know at AmeriChicks.com. And you can always go to our website to listen to prior shows or sign up for our podcast as well. Uh, we're on the line today with Eugene Van Fleet, and he served during World War II in the Navy in the Pacific Theater. Eugene, welcome to the AmeriChick Show. Eugene? Yes, ma'am. I, I hear you. All right. Well, um, let, let's get started. Let's start. What branch and unit were you a part of in World War II? Well, I started out by being in the Merchant Marine. All right. And so the Merchant Marine, really, that was kind of shipping, commerce, and trade that was not connected to the military at first. Well, it Is that was correct? by uh, when you needed troops, they would call on us to get them there. Okay. All right. So what year did you join the Merchant Marines? Oh, God. Uh I tried to forget all that stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and so you're you're from Denver, Colorado, is that correct? Right. I'll tell you, after uh, uh, Honolulu Day, the next day I, I told my parents that I was going to enlist. And uh, after a couple of days, they let me do it. So it was somewhere after... January, you know. So after Pearl Harbor, uh, December 1941, you talked your parents into letting you enlist. Right. So were you not 18 yet? Or Was were, I not in what? Were you 18 yet? 18? 18? Yeah. No. Okay, so you enlisted before you were 18 years old. So you weren't. Yeah. You needed your parents' signature. Wow. Yes, and I got it. <laughs> How old were you, Eugene? I think I was 17. Okay. Wow. And, and what? I was a senior in East High School at that time. Okay. So I must have been 17. Okay. Do you remember where you were when you heard that Pearl Harbor had been bombed? I was at home. We had a home on 12th and Belair. Mm-hmm. And, and what was that like? Did, did you already, were you already familiar? You already aware of, of kind of the the angst that was taking place overseas? Were you considering joining the military one day in the future anyways? Well, I uh, wasn't really considering anything. Uh, I wanted to get out of school for one thing, and uh, my friends that were older than me were talking about other things that uh, happened when they got out of college and out of high school that I haven't had before. Mm-hmm. So after Pearl Harbor, your parents, you talked them into it. A few days later, they decided they would sign for you. So at the age of 17, you enlisted. And did you, did you, you enlisted in the Merchant Marines, you enlisted in the Navy? Where, where did you go? I Merchant Marine, and I was trained in Catalina Island. Nice. <laughs> 
And what California. was it? What, yeah, what was the training like? So you're a kid. You're a 17 year old kid. You've grown up in in Colorado. There's not a lot of oceans around here, and uh, you're just. I mean, you're just a kid. And so you end up in Catalina Island, uh, off the coast of California. What was that training like, Eugene? Well, it's like. Uh Learning how to read uh, what the Navy does for uh, so many things and then uh, to navigate a a big ship and to uh, realize that uh, everything happens once and only once for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. What was your responsibility on the ship? Well, I had many. I was uh, up in the... uh, main part of the ship where everything went on like they would uh, talk to the radio man and he would talk to the planes and all that and uh, we'd get all of our messages up there and the captain would tell us where we're going and how we're going to go through to the end. All right. And so with the Merchant Marines, then, did you um, think that you were going to head overseas? Oh, yes. Yes, that was <laughs> sure. That was put into our minds right away. Okay. And and w- did they train you at all on any weaponry in the Merchant Marines? We had one chance. Uh, all those Merchant Marine ships had uh, U.S. Navy gunmen. That had a big, uh, oh, I forget what, the 60 millimeter, and uh, we got to fire it once. That had to be a bit thrilling. A bit strange? A, a, bit, a bit thrilling to uh, oh. <laughs> to fire one of those. Uh, well, it's, it's a different thing in your life. That's for <laughs> sure. That's for sure. So you uh, you're in the Merchant Marine. Did you know that you were headed to the Pacific Theater? Did you think you might be going to Europe? You know, what what were you being told at that time? Uh, they just told us that we would be on a cruise uh, as uh, needed to take uh, personality for the war wherever they were needed. It'd be South Pacific. It could be uh, over and uh, around Europe, any place. Okay. okay. And so this would have been 1941, right? We are talking with World War II veteran Eugene Van Fleet. Uh, 1941, what were you hearing from the battlefront? What were you learning about what was going on? Uh, not very much. Huh? They're all keeping right. things pretty quiet. <laughs> and so then when, when did you all um, leave America and head over to the Pacific? Well, they had to give us all training, and uh, that was... Uh, to make us better seamen, some uh, passed, some didn't, and uh, some were retried again. But uh, it uh, it was something that they showed us that would save our life in some cases if we would do like we're supposed to. Like what? This is intriguing. So what did they teach you that could save your life? Well... One thing that would be the last thing you would do is surrender. <laughs> that would save your life for that opportunity, but uh, 
no guarantee later on, of course. Yeah, right. So did you have special hand-to-hand combat training? Yes, ma'am. All right. And and how about swimming? Eugene Van Fleet, you, you came from Colorado and uh, joined the Merchant Marines. Were you already a good swimmer? Oh, I love to swim, yes. Okay. I figure if you're going to be serving on a ship during the war, you want to know how to swim. That would be a good thing. Yeah. You're right. All right. So how about when, when, when you all took off from the United States and headed to the Pacific? Where did you all go first? Well, we went to uh, Hawaii first. We got to see uh, what a mess Japan made. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, I think, made the boys feel a little down, but a little up to complete their job with the Merchant Marine. Yeah. You, so you saw the ships that had been destroyed and all the damage and probably the, the oil in the water? Yeah. After yep. Pearl Harbor? In fact, I had two friends that were uh, older than me. And they had younger men, brothers, and relations that were killed there. So mm. they uh, let it all out to me. Yeah. That definitely had to be hard. And a lot of people knew somebody. Yep. And did you were you, were you able to get off the boat and... And you know, kind of walk on the island at all for a couple of days, or do any extra training there in Pearl Harbor? No, we we, we trained before we got there. Everybody was up to the proper standard. Okay, now our understanding is is at some point, Eugene Van Fleet, you moved from the Merchant Marines to the Navy. Are we correct in understanding that? Okay, well, okay, I came home on leave. And I had so many days, and I was checking my uh, papers, and I I want to keep up on that because I wanted to stay where I was. Anyway, I went down to the railroad station to leave to go back to California, and uh, there was a guard there, and he says, let me see your papers. And uh, he looked at him and he says, okay, you come with me. I said, what's wrong? He says, you're a day late. I say, you're a damn liar, too. (laughs) Were you really a day late? I was not a day late. So what happened? Well, then he turned around and talked to the chief there, and they said, okay. So there was a train going to Point Wainimi. No, no, it was going to uh, the uh, training base in... uh, Oh... Farragut, Farragut, Idaho. Okay. And uh, they put me on that train. And when we got to Farragut, they started other kind of training than what I had. And I could see that uh, they lose time and space by the way they were training. So uh, I was telling the instructors uh, a nice way to do it. And... uh, the uh, people in charge of him got a little teed off because I was doing it the right way. So they came to me and they said, uh, you are now officially an instructor for us here. I said, oh, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm getting pushed around for the third time, so here we go. Huh. Well, and, so Eugene, though, backing up just a little bit. So you're, you're home on leave. Uh, didn't the people back with the Merchant Marine, weren't they expecting you back? I mean, I don't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, and they knew when I should be there. They had the paper. I don't know if anybody ever called and told them I was drafted or rapted. Yeah. I actually have to say, we have interviewed almost 100 different World War II veterans. We've never heard quite that story before, uh, that uh, you thought you were going one way, and the next thing you know, you're, uh, you're someplace else. But let's, So you're now an instructor. You, you've mentioned that there might be a better way to do something. My understanding is in the military, that can be good to do that, or that can be bad <laughs> to do that. But it sounds like it worked out okay for you. Well, it uh, worked up to a point where uh, they got a little uh, teed off that I knew more than the Navy did on on a lot of points. So they had a train that was going to Point Wyneme, California, for other naval training. They sat me in the train, and the way I went. Well, when I got out there, it was uh, training for Seabees in the Navy. That was a wonderful experience, Hmm. that part there. And then they sent sent me overseas with the 35th National uh, Seabee Board. Okay. Now, Aunt Molly, wasn't your dad a CB? My grandfather was a CB in the war as well. And if anyone that's listening doesn't know, that's the Naval Construction Battalion. Right. So that's these, what the, it is. You're, yeah. you're coming in and you're rebuilding. So we're, we're kind of tearing down and then rebuilding for our own guys overseas. And I, I, I know that's got to be a very dangerous, a dangerous well, job. You go where they needed, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> what was the training like to be a CB? Well, you have to know a little something about construction, mm-hmm. and uh, it's funny. Uh, they had an old hand-driven uh, grader that was pulled by a Cadillac, uh, a cat. You know what I mean by cat? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that was my job right away because they needed somebody to keep the roads open and uh, I had a little service in the in the US with that so that was my job for a while and then other things changed and they moved around where needed hmm. Okay, so I'm trying to figure this out then Eugene uh, I mean this is early in the war the 1940s and so you know our understanding over in the pacific theater is that you know that we're needing to we're kind of island hopping trying to figure out which islands we would need you had to build the airfields you had to clear brush uh so where was the first place that you went to um regarding um you know cb and the naval construction battalion where where was the first place you guys went to well, it was an island, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it. Well, that's okay. So where we wound up was uh, in Manila, in the Philippines. Okay, and that's after MacArthur then went ashore and said that he had returned? Am I thinking the right time frame on that? 
Well, they must have because we came home. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, very good. And, and Eugene, do you remember what ship you were on that took you to Manila in the Philippines? What trip took me? What, what ship you were on? What trip I was on? And what what boat? Oh no no I I forgot all those. Okay okay yeah. all right yeah all right and so so when you got to Manila, did you get off the boat and and start rebuilding building airstrips or what happened there? Well, we were sitting. Uh, our camp was right next to the. Uh, uh, main airport grounds so we saw a lot of uh, things that happened in the air and on the ground there and our first thing was to clean up the trash at uh, oh yeah there's another city within Manila that uh, is more religious and that's the one they wanted to clean up so our job was to uh, make sure that there wasn't any explosives in anything that we were cleaning up oh, so, yeah. and how do, how do you how do you make sure that there's no explosives in that how, how do I what how do you make sure that there's no explosives in Open that. your eyes. Yeah. Oh, you just, <laughs> you, you're very gentle and you pay attention. I guess so. So, <laughs> hey, Eugene uh, Van Fleet, Fleet, let's go to break. Uh, and uh, when we come back, we want to hear more of your story. Before we do that, though, it is such an exciting time regarding sports. It is um, pro football playoffs. And uh, a great place to get your game on, watch the game, is Hooters Colorado. They've got all kinds of great specials, whether or not it is their great smoked wings or the boneless wings that I actually love from time to time. And so be sure and check out HootersColorado.com. That's HootersColorado.com. You can either go over, watch the game there. You can uh, call Grubhub, have them deliver. But great food. You'll be, be a hero. So check out HootersColorado.com. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Ameritrick's World War II Project. We're excited to have Eugene Van Fleet on the line. He is a local. He's from Colorado. Actually went to East Bay or East High School Right before he joined the military, actually, I went to East Bay High School, so that was a slip, oh, that was, a slip, but that huh? was in Florida. <laughs> so he was at East High School, and uh, he enlisted at 17 years of age, of course, with his parents' help, because he was under 18, joined the Merchant Marines, um, did some, a lot of training there. He was a radio man, and then through some, some funny things that took place, he ended up in the Navy, and he, he went into to the CBs, and that's my grandfather also was a CB in the Navy, and that's a part of the Naval Construction Battalion. You know, today as I drive down the road here in Colorado and I look at the roads and how long it takes for them Years. to get something done, I think, why can't you do it like our World War II veterans? Because you guys, Eugene, were able to build bridges and build airfields and just build basically anything, even with people shooting all around you. I mean, you guys were pretty. Pretty tough. Well, 
<laughs> that was the job, and it had to be done. Somebody had to do it. So. I know it. I know it. Well, y'all did a great job. So before we went to break, you were telling us that you were in, in the Philippines. You were in the island of Manila. And the first thing they told you to do is to get out there and clean up the trash. And while you're doing that, you've got to be very, very careful because you are looking for explosives. And I can't imagine. I, now we have... We have dogs. You know, our military has special equipment for that. But you, did you have anything basically other than your common sense in your hands to help you discover explosives in World War II? Well, the one thing that really uh, bugs me and everybody else is that uh, we had to get to people from uh, Manila to show us around this this little town that was inside Manila. It had many, many cars, and uh, those were the things that they were short on for travel there. And uh, we would take the car and uh, rejuvenate them, and then uh, uh, they would get the car back. Like uh, one day, I was working with one of the uh, guys that lived not too far from the town and uh, he was a mechanic and he, he found a it was a 1940 Packard four door sedan car <laughs> and uh, they had taken the wheels and the tires off so uh, that uh, anybody touch it you better watch out because it was loaded with dynamite but anyway, we got it all cleaned up, and uh, all the guys around there thought somebody ought to drive the thing, so they gave it to me, and I went to the camp supply and got tires and wheels, and <clears throat> that was my my uh, car because I was the tailor of the company. You were the tailor, huh? Yeah. My mom was the seamstress at the, there in Denver. My dad was a tailor, and he also made felt hats. So on the weekends, I would come with them to help them get back where they should be for Monday morning. Like everything else, it was hurry, 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 you know. Okay, so but you had a car, what? Because you needed to be able to get out and get supplies, well, being the I tailor, or what? Down to the to the, the uh, <clears throat> edge of the yeah, I can't even think. Pier had a, where the ships would come in, and uh, I would get my supplies that way. Okay, and uh, also uh, working with me in the same. Uh, little building we had was the cobbler. He had half of the building and I had the other half and uh, <clears throat> then we'd go take turns going down to the water and getting supplies because it went fast and all that stuff. Okay, and so tailoring, uh, what, a new guy comes in and you tailor his uniform, was it mending, a little of both? What what was that exactly? Good. The uniform? Yeah, I mean, what was your work exactly? What what did you do every day? What kind of tailoring okay, well, did you do? Well, I had three sewing machines. One I could sew leather with it. The other one, <clears throat> a cord, 
and then just the other to say, sew up your underwear. And uh, they'd come to me for keeping their uniforms in good condition, and that's what we did. My dad always said he had religious footwear. He called it holy socks. I thought that was an old Taylor joke there, Eugene. (laughs) Yeah, well, could be. I don't know. I've never heard of it. Okay. Hey, when you came back, was that that your profession when you got out of the service? No, no, it wasn't. Uh, I uh, wanted to go back to school, so I went back to DU. And uh, I don't know. I didn't find any class that I really wanted to be with for couple of years, so uh, I had an opportunity to work for the uh, Colorado Highway Department at the uh, Soils Lab, which was out at 14th and Oneida, and uh, when I got out there, they needed somebody to go with one of the other guys hunting for soil, gravel, sand, anything that would be used in a road or a bridge. So. Wow, that is fascinating. Huh. Okay. okay. Well, let's get back to World yeah, War II. Yeah, most definitely. All right. So Eugene Van Fleet. So you are you were telling us about uh, Manila Islands and the Philippines. Um, are there more stories there, or should we continue on? Because I think you went to Japan from there. Is that right? Well, uh, we were supposed to go on to Japan, uh, but one day a little white airplane came in and landed at the Manila airport, and uh, we found out it was the Japan's uh, colonels or something that uh, were there to to uh, surrender. So, huh. so you you were there for the surrender? Well, we saw it from uh, let's say a block away. They were telling us what was going on. They were afraid that uh, they were going to be bombed, see. Nothing ever happened. Okay. Well, so I was wondering, I would make sure, I mean, I would think the Japanese are not going to land a plane in an island filled with United States Navy unless they were able to let you know they were coming, they were going to surrender so that it was hands down. But, but you know, even now we say trust but verify, uh, I'm sure that, that the commanders there around you knew that they trusted that that these guys really were coming to surrender and not to attack. Well, I don't know. It just didn't work out. Okay. Well, so, Eugene, you, you've been in Manila and uh, thought perhaps you were going to be going to Japan. Uh, and now you're talking about the surrender of the Japanese. Um, where were you when you heard that uh, the atomic bomb had been dropped? Oh. Well, there now you got me because I... Well, that, that's okay. I, I, what, what went through your mind, though? Can you remember when you heard that uh, this bomb had been dropped and, and uh, shortly thereafter the war uh, with Japan ended? What, what went through your mind? Oh, you know, I, I think I said to myself, well, it's finally happened. Because you, uh, you just don't stay w- with one type of, of 
Uh, Weaponry? Yeah. You got to get something that's going to scare the heck out of everyone. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Mm-hmm. So, do you have an opinion? Do you think it was a good idea that the atomic bomb had been dropped, or what do you think? Well, we won, so I I'm with her on that. Okay. Yeah. Our, we've heard from many World War II veterans that they feel that it actually saved a number of lives, both... Oh, uh, sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, because uh, I know another group of people that were supposed to be, uh, you know, out to sea and capturing this and that, and they didn't have to go, so that was wonderful. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now, Eugene, looking at the timing on this, you're in the South Pacific. I mean, there's a lot of different battles that are going on as we're doing this island hopping. And I can understand it's probably would be difficult to remember, you know, what the names of each of these islands were as you went on and you, you know, built these airfields and you cleared brush. Um, What was the topography of the islands? Were they primarily jungle islands? Were they very lush? Was it, you know, Iwo Jima? We understand that that was just a lot of volcanic um, sand there. I mean, were they all different? Or is there anything that stands out to you about these different islands where you were doing this work? They all had huge families on every island. Huh. Okay. So there were a lot of civilians that you were Oh, yeah, well, that's where they lived. They, there wasn't any room in Manila or anything else around there for people. Uh, that was all grown up and pushed around. Mm. So you're living out in the open, yeah. Well, how did you all protect yourselves from the civilians? Because I would think that they would all be wanting to fight back and protect their military and their country. Well, they all wanted to talk to us, so I don't know. And, and I'm sure you you had some translators in your crew of CBs? Handwriters? Uh, translators. Were you able to understand what the locals were saying to you? Oh, well, they were uh, pretty well English, too. Okay. All right. Well, what happened after you're in Manila, you see the White Plain lands, the Jap- the Japanese colonel wants to surrender. What happened after that? I was discharged. Okay. We had won. And so did you, you headed home immediately or, or did you all stick around, you, you didn't stick around and, and do any no, occupation? I didn't stick discharge? around. No, I came fast. Okay. Fast would let me. Okay. And so what was your homecoming like? Were your parents there? Did you have a girlfriend at the time? No girlfriend, just mom and dad and my sister. And I had two brothers. That was it. Now, your two brothers and your sister, were they were they younger than you or older than you? My sister was older, and then my two brothers were younger than me. Okay. And were you the only one that went to serve in World War II, Eugene? From the family, yes. Okay. Well, do you have any stories of any of your friends or crewmen that you served with that you'd like to share anything about them? Well, I uh, I can't remember any of them. 
Okay. There's a time when everything goes fluey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens to all of us, yeah. Eugene. I get it. I yeah. totally understand. Um, one other thing that uh, we understood is that you did spend some time in Australia. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Australia? Yeah. Well, that was after the war. My and got married. My wife wanted to see the world, so we we have been on seventy six continents. Wow! Or seventy six countries. I'm sorry. Seventy six countries, and probably most all of the continents. Then, huh? Well, there's more continents than seventy six, but that's what we had. Huh? <laughs> Well, that's what uh, I mean, that's pretty amazing. So what would you say that you have learned from all of your travels? They're just like us. They want to live good. (laughs) Okay, true. Eugene Van Fleet, this has been such an honor to get to do this interview with you. Thank you so much. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you. You're most welcome. Okay, right. so this is the AmeriChicks. I'm Kim Munson. Molly Vote, And uh, we are so honored to get to do these interviews. Uh, be sure and check out our website, AmeriChicks.com. All of them are posted there. So God bless you, Eugene, and God bless America. Hallelujah. Well, that was really great talking with Eugene. And if you remember back December 9th, we interviewed Bud Goodwin. And right after the show ended, we kept talking. And we'd like to share some of those special bonus gems with you now. You served on the USS England, which was a destroyer escort, uh, 635. And we have not really gotten to the story about the six Japanese submarines that the uh, England's sunk within 12 days. So we have heard the story about the very first one. And of course, there was a real celebration. We're at war and um, really tough things happen in war. But uh, there's also survival and standing against tyranny and evil. Uh, So you have sunk the first Japanese sub and you are with a squadron, right? So describe that, bud. Well, that's the the point that I was, I'm glad you're making because <clears throat> I've, like I said today before that we were not in our own squadron. We were with another squadron, and uh, we fill in. We filled in. So the first one was because we hadn't gone to battle stations. The reason there was a, a happiness about it, but from that moment on, it was all seriousness, and we sort of sat back and and we took our turn and we were able to sink a sub not every time but uh, uh, of the group that uh, uh, was there uh, we were the only ones that sank a sub in that in that particular period of time uh, I I don't uh, there's nothing um, everybody every ship everybody that was on the ball you know they were all trying to do their best and uh, it just happened that sonar in those days was very new, and the hedgehog was even more newer than the, than the, than the other. And the depth charges, like I said, it had its place in its time and everything. But the depth charges, when you when you roll them off and they go down to 150 feet or 300 feet, wherever they, when they explode, then the uh, sub we found out can actually get in that echo and sit there for several hours or maybe even a day. I'm not sure. But I'm, I'm talking uh, about stuff that has many years, 70, at least 75 years ago. 
And so I, I can't be true about everything about it, uh, of all the things. But it was, there was no fun. Uh, we were all away from our families, and uh, and uh, most of them weren't married, I suppose, on the ship. I never thought about that. But uh, being 18, why, um, I guess I was pretty young. Some people say that you, I was too young. You were pretty young. You had a wife and a baby yep, at home. Yep, yep. Uh, so you have sunk the first Japanese sub. Yeah. And you're with the squadron. So it sounds like there's kind of jockeying for position, if you will, that uh, that whoever the commander is of the squadron then says, what, another ship can take a run at it. You, you think that there's a sub down there. So how, it sounds kind of political to me. I'm not, I'm not going to uh, get involved in that, but <laughs> I, 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 I think you're pretty close to right. But with the exception of the one word there that is different, and that's it. I don't think in our day we were talking about political because it was, even though today it fits pretty well, but not, uh, not then. It was more a... Uh, when we left uh, the uh, the base there, we were wondering why we are we going with another squadron, and uh, we went out. Well, the the uh, commodores in those days, or the, the the each squadron had a commodore in name, not not in rank, but in name only. In other words, he had the charge of the of the uh, ship. Uh, anyway, the um, it was. Competition, competition. Maybe yeah, that's yeah, it. That's yeah. Competition, and and uh, when we pulled up, uh, we always wondered if we we're going to. We pulled up alongside of one of them, tie him up, you know, and tie up next to it. Uh, but we survived. Okay. And it was it was all right. Well, and so, Bud, I, this is kind of a funny question, but we've talked to veterans before from World War II who said on their ships, some of them didn't write their own romance letters home to their wives. They said that there was a, a man, and I can't think of the name of the guy, what they would call him on the boat, but like kind of like the Don Juan, if you will. But he wrote some love letters so that the, the wives or the girlfriends at home got really good letters. Did you ever come across any of those guys on your USS England? I don't know where the heck you're getting that story, but it sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I I never thought of such a thing. We were too, uh, we were too. Uh, uh, you know, there's no chairs on the on the ships, and uh, you sit either on the deck or when you go to the you sit on a bench for eating and stuff like that. And the fact that I was in the office, of course, I had. Uh, a chair there, a metal chair with cushion on. Anyway, um, it was. Uh, I'm sorry, but I, I lose count about where I, where I'm at, where I'm going. But it's it was just it wasn't. Uh, we had we had to, we had to kill we had to kill him. We wanted to get the war over. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. and we had to. It's it's like. May I may I tell you how it all ended? Please. In my just, I'll, I want to cover this. I went back to the states and I got on new. I got on a new ship, a destroyer. This time was the USS Lofberg, DD seven five nine, and we just got commissioned on uh, April of uh, forty five, and uh, so we took off and went out to the, out to around Honolulu, and then we took off uh, another place for someplace else and. One day, I'm on the phone. I'm on 
watch. Not, I'm not on. We're, we're we're underway, so I'm doing my four hour watch, and I get a call from the Radio Shack, and they said uh, this is the Loftberg now. They said uh, uh, Bridge, and I said Bridge Eye, and they said uh, this is calm. It, the war is over. The Japanese are, are, are have, have surrendered. I said okay. I don't know whether I should say this or not, but I'll tell it to you anyway. <coughs> the uh, uh, I, to- I took to t- took a turn to my captain, and this time he was a commander, full commander, and his name was Robert O. Beer. And uh, I said to him, I said, Captain, I said, uh, Sir, the Japanese have surrendered. The war is over. He didn't say anything. He sat there. And he was sitting up on this flying bridge, and he had his arm on the on the like a, like a two by four, but it's all metal. The, and he sat there, and he said, "Goodwin, what fools we Americans are." I hope that's not wrong. I hope it's not. Uh, anyway, he said, um, "He says you watch." He says, "Here we are. We can conquer the world today." He says, "Look at the ships." And there was, uh, right there that day, there was over 700 ships, oilers, tankers, uh, aircraft carriers, uh, just another destroyers, uh, you know, around. All of all of them, he said, just look at that. And he says, you watch and see. When you get to, when we get to Tokyo, there are, there's going to be signs that we cannot walk on the sidewalks. Boy, I don't know whether I'm, I'm getting myself in hell here. But anyway, <laughs> and uh, sure enough, why, when we got there, why, there were signs that, the, the um, servicemen walking the streets, they, they didn't want us to, uh, what's the word? Um, no, there's a word for it. Uh, talk to the, the get get involved with the Japanese people. No fraternizing. The friend knows that, that's it. No fraternizing. <laughs> that's it. But I want to tell you one other story. As we came in that day, why the captain hollered on, on the uh, on the uh, ship, he said, I want uh, all the farmers to come up to the bridge. And uh, what the heck do you want the farmers to come up to the bridge? Well, he says, you guys are the ones that shoot shot, shotguns and all that. He says, I want you to, we'll get you the, the mines that we have to go through, the minefield here, as we enter Tokyo. He said, well, I want you to blow them up for us before we get to them. Oh, and sure enough, why, yeah, we had a couple of Quick shots, you know, those guys that saw some of them were pretty good because you're always shooting pigeons on farms, you know. Anyway, why, uh, uh, it just, uh, it just made it, we're coming in, the war is over, and, uh, it just it was a different thing. And I'll, I'll add one little tidbit to this now that I'll never forget that that particular day, why, uh, we had, uh, mashed potatoes that, that were powdered potatoes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we had uh, one one scoop of peas, a uh, 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 canned peas, you know. And then we had uh, a uh, pork chop, a round, small one. And then we had uh, uh, an ice cream slice. In those days, they sometimes they come in wrapped in paper. Each slice was wrapped in paper. <clears throat> I thought, boy, this is you know we're, we we were high, high on the hog that particular day. Anyway, when we get off and when I go over to the dock. There I see the big sign, big sign, big, bigger in this room, you know, the U.S. military personnel. Uh, we couldn't eat in any restaurant unless it was designated. 
and uh, for it. Anyway. uh, and but the reason was because you were not to fraternize with the Japanese. Is that is that the main yes, reason? Yes. Huh. Yeah. We, but you know, they didn't want us to. You know, you, if 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 you're drinking or something like that, why you're liable to get into fights and things mm-hmm. like that. And, and there was still, uh, uh, you know, sure, a lot of raw a, nerve, a lot of lot of things. You know, and there's yeah. the the uh, uh, we were we were anchored near the where the uh, emperor lives and uh, it's a uh, there's a moat around it all the way around it and then across the street from that is a big hotel where MacArthur ran it from that time on uh, you know uh, to uh, anyway what it it was um, you know but just a question we had interviewed a uh, let's see. He was a pilot, I think, that had been shot down. Fisk Hanley, who ended up in one of the Kimpi Tai prisoner of war camps in Japan. And um, they were liberated by the Marines. He said it was an awesome sight mm-hmm. to see the, the Marines, um, you know, come ashore. Did you hear anything about any of these uh, prisoner of war camps that any of our guys were in? And especially because the very first one he was put in, and he wasn't a pilot. I think he was an engineer. But Fisk Hanley was at first right acro- in a dungeon right across from the emperor's um, castle. To be honest with you, you know, I, I don't want to say anything about uh, stuff like that because okay. I don't know it. I don't I don't understand it. Fair enough. And, uh, because some of those uh, people, I, yeah, it just beyond me, I, I'll be honest with you, you know what they call it, the, 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 the Japanese, they marched all the... Uh, the, the Baton people, death march. Yeah, yeah. We had Leroy Doris was at high school, and he was happened to go in one year before I did. He he graduated one year before I did, and, and uh, before I left, I did graduate then. Anyway, and uh, he was in uh, in there, and he was he was killed on the way to wherever they were taken. Okay. Leroy Doris, and, uh, and they named the street after him back in okay. home. But anyway, no, those those things are the it, it's it's sickening. When when I when I stop and think of what we're doing over here now. I mean, it's 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 uh, it just drives me crazy. I mean, why do people want to? Uh, it's making money, I guess. That that's what the only thing you can say. But it's I, I'm going to have to shut up because. Oh, I, I, well, I, let's go. <laughs> we'll we'll move back to we've we've now have heard the story of sink. We've sunk one sub. We've got five to go, and <clears throat> so some of the other ships had taken a run at it. There were five in yes. the squadron. Is that right? Yeah. And so did the other four take a run at it, and then you guys got a turn at the second one? Some, some of them did, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the, the, each time, the the situation was different. Like one, one night, we caught one on, on the surface, and uh, they sank right, they, they uh, went down right away, but we caught up with them and, and, uh, and sank them. There was... There was two or three, I forgot now, that we saw them in the day. We got all kinds of stuff. And like I said, one of them, there was three uh, survivors of it. But uh, uh, we didn't pick them up. They, they had a, another ship picked them up later. So and on this, uh, one of the articles that we read about this, Bud, was 
that it was an anomaly that you had all these subs together. They weren't where they were supposed to be. It's kind of like you guys just came upon him. I mean, it was it was luck, maybe divine providence. Uh, can you describe that a little bit? Now the 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 story that I understand about it was that we were operating around Truck, the island of Truck, and. Uh, uh, I'm not sure the island. I've forgotten the name if there if there was a name about it. But anyway, uh, uh, when you when you when you when you are operating like that and you are told, you, in other words, you're like you're told to, to I forgot the words, but to lay off lay off a, 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 another way. Well, you have to keep going, otherwise. If you don't keep, even if you just go in circles, but because uh, then the, once the sub gets contact with you. So anyway, it was each one of the ships, the, 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 each one of the subs that we got information where they were. And the reason these subs were trying to fill, bring supplies to this island, to the, to the Japanese forces. Got it. And so this was common over there, that, uh, they, and that's what you had to do. You had to cut off their supply right. uh, uh, situation. And it was, uh, this was, you know, 45, uh, it, uh, uh, 44, why it was coming to the end. There was, uh, I'm trying to think about us, where, how, how much, anyway, I, 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 that's, you're getting in now to stuff that uh, is a little bit beyond my memory. Well, well, Bud Goodwin, this has been our honor to get to do this interview. Uh, I'll tell you, these interviews are changing our lives. And uh, we, we do indeed stand on the shoulders of giants. Uh, I don't have a college degree either, but I think you, both, you and I both grew up uh, striving to do a job well and work hard, and you just never know what doors will open. Exactly. Uh, so this is the AmeriChicks, Molly Vogt and Kim Munson, uh, World War II veteran Bud Goodwin. It has been an honor to get to do this uh, interview with you. God bless you, and God bless America. And I'll tell you what, it's been a special honor for me to stand here and talk to you. Thank you. You're somebody's daughter, don't forget. I know. I I know that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Join us next time for the World War II Project and your hosts, the Americhicks, Molly Vogt and Kim Munson. Until then, keep saluting the greatest generation.